Oh, nothing. Except they somehow managed to get every creep and freak in the universe onto this one plane. And then somehow managed to let them take it over. And then somehow managed to stick us right smack in the middle. Hi, Garland. Hello and welcome, welcome and hello. This is Wait, You Haven't Seen, a podcast where we talk about movies, specifically a movie that at least one of us hasn't seen before. I am your host, Travis, um, and this is episode 22, our second week of Nicolas Cage Month, and we are watching the 1997 action film Con Air. Joining me this week, I have AJ. How's it going? It's going well. Uh, also joining is Christina. Hello. Hello. Uh, we have Keith. What's up? Hey. And, of course, the one who hasn't seen the movie, David. It's true. I have not seen this movie. You are the only one who hasn't seen this movie. Now, I saw this in the theater back in 97. Um, and this was right in the middle of kind of Nicolas Cage blockbuster um, era, where he had, the year before this was The Rock, Um he put this out, and actually, Con Air and Face Off came out the same year. Um, they shot, like, back-to-back, I think, and they came out within a month or two of each other. Um, so, and then after that, I think he did, the next one was um, Snake Eyes in 98. So he did uh, a few movies right in a row that all, pardon me, um, made a pretty good amount of money. Um, were all sort of those action blockbuster. This was the second straight uh, Jerry Bruckheimer produced movie um, yeah uh, it's Con Air um, Nicolas Cage with a horrendous southern accent uh, as a parolee hitching a ride home uh, on a flight full of convicts it's uh look it's dumb it's a dumb dumb movie there's a lot with of a great, with a great cast it, it's yes. a dumb dumb movie with a great cast yes and- I I and, and, and it is dumb. It, there's a lot of like things that just don't make any sense, or it's are just straight up cliches and tropes. But I love this movie anyway. The first thing in, to me in this movie that didn't make any sense was not really a thing so much as a person. And that to me was Dave Chappelle. <laughs> <laughs> well, has Dave Chappelle ever made sense though? I mean, uh, well, this one was, of the this was I love him. This is golden era Chappelle. This is this is. The like perfect Chappelle. Uh, I watch nothing about this movie other than the memes and things that have come from it. Um, so I I had no clue when that he was in this movie before the movie. So a pleasant surprise. So in stark contrast to last week's movie, which was Vampire's Kiss. If you didn't listen to that episode, go back and listen to it because that was a ton of fun. But that movie had Nicolas Cage and two or three other actors that maybe you might have heard of or seen in something, but it was really all about Nicolas Cage. This movie had Dave Chappelle in a tiny role. Okay, you had Ving Rhames, John Malkovich, Nick Chinland, Michael T. Williamson, and this was Michael T. Williamson coming off of uh, not too long after Forrest Gump, so he was still pretty well known back then. Um, Call Meany, John uh, Cusack. Uh, Monica Potter, and of course Nicolas Cage, um, you know, starring in it. 
And there were a lot and of who smaller. Can forget Steve Buscemi. Right, Steve Buscemi yeah. in a small role. Um, even some of like the smaller actors. We uh, the. I was looking it up. the The guy that's flying the little prop plane coming into Carson City Airport um, that lands and then runs off into the desert. We saw him in a movie that we reviewed on this show in Fight Club. He was the guy working the airport um, as the baggage handler. That was the same guy. I, I thought he looked familiar huh. when I was watching the movie, and sure enough, that's where he was from. But even so, he you know, was in two movies that year, huh? Don't you well, hate it when you get typecast? Actually, <laughs> uh, this came out two years before Fight Club, so. Oh, Fight Club was 99, wasn't yes. it? Yes. Um, also, uh, MC Ganey was Swamp Thing. Um, I love him. He's he's funny in, in so many things and is just always recognizable because he's just this big kind of really wide dude. He's not necessarily fat. He's just large. And Danny Trejo, uh, who is always great in anything. It doesn't matter what it is. Danny Trejo is great. But it was nice to see a cast of a lot of different people. Most of them are pretty interchangeable. I mean, you know, you could put just about anybody in uh, the the characters of Baby O or Diamond Dog or Billy Bedlam, and it's really not going to make a whole lot of difference. But having the actors they had in there well, was nice, even if they were all kind of two-dimensional characters. Malkovich, however, made Cyrus Grissom better because that was total cheeseball, the, the lines that he had everything about it apparently he did not have a good time making this movie because they were constantly rewriting the script but he just he made it all work there's something about malkovich playing that kind of a role um and he was just a ton of fun in that role um if you go to the imdb trivia of course they've got you know the the classic imdb imdb trivia lists of people that were looked at for the role of cyrus grissom before him you ready for this okay Gary Oldman. I could see that. That wouldn't have been too bad. I don't know if I believe it, but I, I could see him in that role. You've also got Kevin Bacon, Alec Baldwin, George Clooney, Robert De Niro, Michael Douglas, Richard Dreyfus, James Gandolfini, Ed Harris, Rutger Hauer, William Hurt. I think they just basically went through and said, okay, who are all the actors between this age and this age? And let's list them in this. Because Michael Keaton, Michael Madsen, I, none of these people had a chance at being in this movie. Maybe Tom so Sizemore. They, they used the casting approach of, of a shotgun and just threw it out there to see who would say yes. I, I guess. They did the same thing with uh, Cameron Poe. So here's some of the names that were supposedly up for the role of Cameron Poe. All right, Stephen Baldwin. William Baldwin. So you had, all, you had three Baldwin brothers all up for roles in this movie, with Alec possibly being Cyrus. Tom Cruise. Johnny Depp. Dolph Lundgren as Cameron Poe. <laughs> I want. I just laughed at Dolph Lundgren's accent. Like, I want Dolph Lundgren that doing been, it. Yes. That would have been a treasure. Yes, Dolph Lundgren doing an Alabama accent would have been awesome. <laughs> it's kind of like. Sean do you think Connery's he would have done better? Do you think he would have done better than uh, Nick Cage did? Because that was. That's <sighs> one of my. Was... It, this is one of my favorite bad accents in a movie. Now, to his credit, it's consistent. It's bad, it but is. it's consistent it throughout the whole thing. But it's consistently bad. Mm-hmm. I didn't think it was good. that bad. It doesn't sound like anybody I've ever heard from Alabama ever. But I kind of question if you know he has ever actually been to Alabama. Uh, I mean, supposedly, it, according to the trivia, he uh, he went he spent some time in Alabama to quote unquote perfect his accent. 
So like two days, maybe like a yeah. Whole pay for me to go to Alabama. Oh, right there for lunch. <laughs> exactly. Get a long layover between yeah. Um, a couple of other names that were uh, suggested: Brad Pitt, Keanu Reeves, Kurt Russell, Arnold Schwarzenegger. No, no, pause. I think Keanu Reeves would have been a very interesting alternative. Yeah. It would have been yeah, a different I can agree. Movie, but like Keanu I, Reeves has that soft guy side to him, yeah. which is which is pretty important, I think, in this role. But I'm sorry, I was just thinking specifically about him in the, as a, that role, so I'll shut up now. No, I, but this was also very much pre John Wick. Oh yeah, yeah. This was pre the Matrix. When did? Yeah, that was '99, right? Yeah. Um, and he would have been a better choice than Schwarzenegger, Steven Seagal, Sylvester Stallone, or Jean Claude Van Damme, who were all they supposedly just, considered. That's for the just party. the cast of The Expendables, <laughs> right? <laughs> That's one of those trivia things where it's just like, yeah, no, I don't buy any of that at all. Like, I can we maybe see Reeves everyone. because Keanu Reeves. This would have been a couple of years right after, after Speed, heat, right? No, Speed, not Heat. Keanu Reeves oh. wasn't in Heat. Oh, what am I thinking of? Speed. No, the, the bus. other one. Speed Two. No, <laughs> he's not in Speed Two. Point Break. That's what I'm thinking of. Oh wow, no, Point Break was uh, before Speed. Point Break was like '91, I think '92. Um, no, I just, I could see Keanu Reeves doing it. Nicolas Cage in this movie, it's funny because I think part of why his accent remains consistent is he doesn't ever change his tone of voice. It's always that slow southern drawl. And he really, he, I don't want to say this is a better acting job than Vampire's Kiss because, well, we, we watched that movie and that was kind of a, a, a case of like, just do whatever you want and see what works. But it was a consistent acting job in this for him, I would say. Um, but he didn't have to be anything spectacular in, in this movie. Like, he was playing the hero, so, you know, those are usually pretty boring uh, characters anyway. But, um, I don't, you know, I want to get an idea. What did, uh, what did you think of Nicolas Cage? Take the accent out of it, because the accent is can be really distracting. Also, distracting was the hair. But as oh, a... Oh, it was so good. <laughs> as just a, uh, you know, hero, action hero type thing. And, you know, kind of, if you can, if you've seen The Rock, if you've seen some of his other stuff that he's done, compare it to that. But how, what did you think of him in this, Christina? I mean, it's definitely an action show, and I think he did the job fairly decently. I mean, of course, the, the heavy on one-liners... As an action movie would have. Yeah. Well, Keith, what did you think? In this time period. Yeah. (laughs) Keith, what did you think of, like, Nicolas Cage in this movie? I thought it was pretty good. I mean, from the things I can recall seeing him in, I think that uh, he did a better job than than most in some. However, some of the action seems a little bit stilted now that I watched again. Um, like, Like some of the, like the fight in the belly of the plane, you know, it's like, you know, the, some of the uh, some of the moves they use seem like why? Okay, he just arched his back and pushed the guy into the ceiling. That's it's totally something you're going to do in a fight. He's dead. You've killed him. Well, it's a very different uh, era of action movie too. I mean, this is this is pre kind of the the John Woo influence of of action movies really took hold. Um, you know, that kind of uh, Hong Kong cinema style action. That really took hold with like Face Off that same year, and 
some of John Woo's stuff, some of Jackie Chan's movies making the transition over here, Jet Li, kind of late 90s, where they were really changing the way action movies were perceived and how they were staged and shot. Um, and Nick, Nicolas Cage is not a martial artist, so fight-wise, even though they, they have him, you know, his character is supposed to be this trained army ranger, that's not Nicolas Cage necessarily. He's never been known for that, so... Plus, you're, you know, the, the belly of the plane fight in particular is a tough one to, to really look at because it's such a confined space. You know what I mean? You know, we've obviously seen, um, seen some, some choreography and some action stuff that has elevated since then. And this movie does age a little poorly in that respect with the way they act. Now, it, it's interesting because watching it last night, I didn't realize or I had forgotten how much action was in this movie because it's really just set piece after set piece after set piece. Um, so there's not a lot there's not a lot of story to go around at all. Um, there's no character development from anyone in this movie whatsoever. I mean, nope. Nick Cage is the same character from beginning to end. Every character is exactly the same from beginning to end except for one moment at the end of the movie with John Cusack and Calmini where they aren't yelling at each other for like the only time in the entire movie. <laughs> It's like everything finally settled down. They put the testosterone away, and they're just like, you know what? Today was pretty junk. Well, you know, we've talked about angry acting before, which is just actors literally just yelling at each other. And I did catch a clip of that. And this is this is a masterclass in angry acting. So listen to this. He brought a gun on the plane. If I knew the way you guys run things, I was gonna bring a bougie on board. No one carries on these flights. No one. He brought a gun on board and he got himself killed. And in doing so, he compromised the safety of my men. Your men are incompetent! <laughs> I mean, that's just yelling at each other for basically every single line. And it's not compelling in any way. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. that. And then they, that's basically every interaction with those two is either yelling or sniping at each other throughout can the I entirety say, of the movie. Can I say something about yeah. a uh, uh, just a general thing? on the character development um the the movie takes place other i mean the majority of the movie takes place on the plane which is what probably six maybe even less hours yeah of time do you do you need huge character development in that no no and i'm not i'm not saying there has to be character development from a bunch of characters but my point is there isn't any in the story to be told because there isn't really a story being told. This movie is more or less a showcase of action set pieces set on a backdrop of some people getting transported in a plane. So there isn't character development to be told. You're right in that it takes place over such a short period of time. But even the beginning of the movie where they're trying to establish the characters, Mm -hmm. Cameron Poe is the exact same person from the moment he gets off the, the the boat in... Alabama until he gets on the plane he's exactly the same and all they did was show every trope about being in prison in a movie that you can have you know the whole I don't know I I mean we saw him read like two or three Spanish books and like practice Spanish so there was a little growth I don't think and origami yeah. yes and origami he was trying to better himself but that's my point is that all the beginning of that movie all the beginning of the movie was was a trope fest over the opening credits. It's him working out in his cell. It's him learning 
another language. It's him reading books and making that one friend in prison. Like all the tropey things. Plus, he had way too much stuff in his cell. There's no way they'd let him have that much stuff. <laughs> he had like two boxes worth of things on the wall alone. It was crazy. But I just I'm watching it. and I'm like, wow, this is just trope after trope after trope. And that was the whole movie. Now look. Having said all that, as I said at the beginning of the show, I like this movie. I like this movie a lot. I've rewatched it several times. I saw it in the theater. But it it bears pointing out that it's not a good film. It's not good filmmaking. It really was, in my opinion, Jerry Bruckheimer wanting to cash in on uh, the types of um, the types of action movies that he was making at the time. And you know, he'd just come off the rock. This actually was the movie that um, broke up that producing partnership of Jerry Bruckheimer and Dom Simpson, who had been producing movies together since the 80s. Dom Simpson hated the idea of this movie. And so when they parted ways, he's like, fine, take Con Air. I don't care. And he died before the movie came out. But this was the first Jerry Bruckheimer production, not Bruckheimer Simpson. And I think it kind of shows in that it was somewhat hastily put together i don't think it was a very well written movie at all and the director simon west this was his first feature film and that shows too because i think like the whole time i was watching it all i could think of was this was like michael bay light (laughs) not wrong i mean all of the the shot compositions the way the action was staged um save a couple of very close up like kind of fisheye lens shots it was all very michael bay jerry bruckheimer style you know a lot of helicopters and all it was missing was an era uh you know american flags draped over those helicopters um <laughs> but you know no, all he did, the he did have those books you know about learning spanish but did we ever hear him speak spanish in the movie i think there was a point where he had like two lines i have some vague recollection i'd have to go back through yeah a little bit okay. nothing nothing relevant to the storyline or the character no, I mean, none of the beginning of the movie was really relevant to the storyline. Because, um, again, Honestly, there's not really a storyline to be relevant to. I, I think, like, part of the beginning, in many ways, takes away, like, if you actually focus. So he finishes ranger school, goes to see his pregnant wife who works at a bar. Uh, people are being shitty to him. Then, as they're leaving the bar let's say three guys jump him in a parking lot. And if I recall correctly, one of them, not, you know, uh, Poe pulls out a knife and gets himself stabbed. I don't understand how that would have ended up in manslaughter like that. It really felt kind of like a slam because the guy grabbed the knife and there was no evidence to say that it was actually self-defense. Yeah. Also, and he didn't stab him. He jabbed his uh, nose right into his head. Yeah. That, that wonderful trope that apparently, you know, you can't really do, but it was a popular thing in 90s action movies as a way to off somebody. They sort of they sort of wrote it off in the court scene that normally it would be self-defense, but because he's tra- he's trained as a weapon, yeah. his body is a weapon, that he should know better. Which is yeah. also not true. I mean, they, they don't actually do that, but... Um, yeah. But the I, plot demanded it. Right. Well, and, you know, I mean, the plot demanded that Nicolas Cage's character be in San Quentin for some reason. Like, he was... States have their own federal penitentiaries. Am I wrong on that? But why At was, least regionally, yeah. Right, why was, why was he in country. California? 
Well, it had to be in California, so he could have gotten on an airplane full of a bunch of crazies. And right. But I mean, that <laughs> was like back to Alabama. That's one of those leaps in logic that just didn't make any sense to me watching it. Like, why is he on a, why is he in a prison in California when he was tried and convicted in Alabama? You know, and California has, last I looked, one of the most overcrowded prison systems. So it's not like they'd be taking others from other states to fill out like, you know. But, I mean, if we yeah. want to poke holes in the logic of this movie, we'll be here all night because there's no way they would have landed that plane at Carson City Airport. Uh, you know, there's there, you can't take the transponder out of the plane and attach a battery to it and throw it in another plane. <laughs> you know, and it, even if you did that, they still would have noticed where the planes were going on standard radar. Like, all that kind of stuff. We could we could be here all night with all that crap. You know, because... and Darn that's that logic giving right, away and, from movie making. And when I say that it's a dumb movie, that's what I'm talking about. It's all those yeah. things. If you can disassociate yourself with those and enjoy the entertainment of this movie, it's great. And I'm able to do that because, because of Nicolas Cage, John Cusack, to an extent, although I think Cusack is kind of pointless in this movie as a character, but also they could have put anybody in that role. And I love John Cusack. But Malkovich really makes it. Um, you know, I'm a big Ving Rhames fan, so it was nice to see him. Uh, even though, again, you could have put just about any actor in that role uh, and it wouldn't have been any different. I'm glad it was Ving Rhames, but mm -hmm. it didn't have to be him. Um, and I think that's where, you know, this money, th this movie made money. It made... Uh, $100 million in the U.S. and $225 million worldwide. Now, I had a budget, estimated budget of $75 million, which in 1996-97 was pretty high. And you, all, almost all of that had to go to casting. Um, you know, even, even with some of the lesser-known people, um, you're, still, you're still spending a lot of money on that. I mean, even, you know, Renloy Santiago is the um, Sally Can't Dance uh, character who I knew from Hackers. Um, who played, I think, almost the same part, it's field like. Mm, not really. Similar. similar. Yeah, similar. No. But even, like, yeah. Chappelle, Chappelle probably didn't cost a ton to cast back in 1996. But, you know, still. And apparently he improvised most of his work. Um, but, yep. you know, Buscemi, Trejo, they were fairly well known. Um, and... One other cast member that I do want to point out because uh, he was sort of... We've talked about Al Young before, the, the guy from every 80s action movie ever with the big Fu Manchu mustache. Um, this movie had the 90s equivalent of Al Young, which is Thomas Rosales Jr., which if you needed anybody that was uh, Hispanic or Latino uh, to play in a role of like a gangster or criminal, this guy was in it. He was, one, he was the guy in... The Carson City Airport that pulls the gun on um, Nicolas Cage coming out of the plane. You 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 don't know him until you see him and you're like, oh yeah, he's been in everything. Uh, that guy was just like he was the dude that you would you would cast to just play whatever random bad guy. Um, so kind of like Nicolas Cage with bad scripts. Uh, no, he was just sort of a, I'm going to put you in a movie because we need somebody who is a, you know, Mexican drug lord or a Mexican gangster or something South, vaguely South American. It was, it would always well, be but I was, Thomas Rosales. Yeah, it was kind of like, like that, but with Nicolas Cage, it's, hey, we've got this script and I have no idea what we're doing here. Let's get Nicolas Cage. Yeah, although that's more Nicolas Cage now. Um, but yeah, yeah, I see what you're going for. 
Uh, yeah, Thomas Rosales Jr., if you ever get a chance, look at his IMDb. It's crazy. It's 172 credits. And it's like at, there's stretches where it's just like was one, two, three, four, five movies in our TV shows in 1999 alone. So, um, no, I. that's what makes this movie watchable is the cast. Uh, because, look, logic, plot, there, there really is very little. Um, it's weird trivia. I mean, uh, the car, Calmini's car, was uh, like a $38,000 car at the time. Um, now, there's another character that I don't think was, was I don't know how to put it. He, the DEA agent, uh, no DEA agent is going to act like that. Can 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 we agree on that? I would hope so. <laughs> it seemed a bit of a stretch for me. Like it's that want I wanted to take me out of the movie because for one, he you if you know procedure on a plane like that, you're not going to then go around that and sneak a gun to your guy. Like that's total Hollywood action movie stuff. And obviously that was you knew that that was going to spell that that guy was dead. Uh, kind of like having Michael T. Williams' character talk about, you know, God's got my back. Like, well, you're not making it to the end of the movie um, when they're in the when they're in the prison cell in the beginning of it. But, mm-hmm. but saying all that, the action sequences, there's a lot of them, and some of them feel a little tacked on. They're well done and a lot of fun. Um, did anybody have a favorite sequence in the movie? Um, I think just the initial escape sequence was good. When they first take over the plane? Yeah. Okay. I always enjoyed the crash landing into Vegas, just the amount of mayhem. It looks like. (laughs) Yeah, we're going to crash. Or we're going to land. The operative word is crash. And and then, you know, yeah, well, we're going to hit the strip because we can't make the airport and just like (laughs) taking things out left and right. It's like, all right, you're getting your explosions and your mayhem. It was enjoyable. Originally, apparently, that was supposed to take place, them crash landing into the White House. (laughs) Um, but they what else can we do dumb with this movie right they scrapped that idea because it didn't we flew through the uh we flew through the st louis arch yeah yeah exactly we're gonna through the st louis arch and crash landed at the white house that would have been great no i i don't know i mean like i say it's dumb but it's fun i i remember thinking that when i saw it in 97 in the theater like okay well i mean i enjoyed it but it definitely is like turn your brain off action movie, and that's fine. I think movies like that are worth having. Um, yeah. I you know when I came up with the thought of let's do a Nicolas Cage month, uh, I really wanted to try and hit the the different things that he would do and the different types of movies that he would be in. So this you know he's done a few of these uh, kind of dumb uh, action movies in the past. This isn't something new for him. And it isn't something that he avoided either. Um, I do think it's interesting that in the cast list, he's way down the list. But, um, you is know. Is it by appearance order or something? Well, no, because Call Meany has the first credit. So I don't know what order they were going in. Um, they had to give him the first uh, credit because they wouldn't have let him wear his normal yellow outfit. <laughs> I mean, that's definitely what I know him mostly from, as yeah. good old O'Brien. That's what most people know him mostly from, is that. Uh, that's his most well-known part by far. But, you know, this was a time... So, Nicolas Cage, at this point, had won an Academy Award um, 
for leaving Las Vegas. And this kind of felt like, okay, we're going to go through our, because uh, he did leaving Las Vegas in 95. As I said earlier, it was The Rock, Con Air, Face Off. Oh, City of Angels was, and, and Snake Eyes were both 98. Um, you know, he, a couple years later did Gone in 60 Seconds was another, uh, you know, kind of action film that he did. Um, and then he, you know, National Treasure. So action movies are not. And it's funny because I don't think of Nick Cage as an action star, but he kind of was. How old do you think he was when they made this movie? 32. 35. Final answer. 35? <laughs> I, would, I would say mid to late 30s, yeah. Because he, he was born in 1964, so he was like 33, 34, 32, 33 years old when he made this. Watching it last night, he looked older than that to me for some reason. That's why I was aging him up in my head. I don't know. Something. I don't know why he just looks older than his mid. Like he looks like early forties facially. He was in incredible shape for the movie. I mean, mm-hmm. I will give yeah, him all the, the credit. Working in the out world alone. Well, yeah, but I, I I will give him all the credit in the world for that. He he got himself into some really good shape to make this movie because the year before this in The Rock, I, you know, he didn't. He was playing a character that was kind of a bookworm you know, nerdy character anyway, so sort of makes sense, but... Honestly, I'm going to throw a little bit of him feeling older to the long hair and the attempt at the drawl. I don't know why, but I think that if you would have cut the hair <clears throat> and had him just be you know, Midwest or generic California or something, he probably, without changing anything else, would have felt younger. You're probably... I you're not wrong say, there. I can't give you a reason why I think that, but I really <laughs> just, like... You know, I picture it and I go, yeah, that probably that that would change it a bit. And I think- maybe maybe they maybe that was an intentional because he was in prison for s- seven years. Yeah. So maybe that was a oh he's thirty whatever at the beginning and now he's late for late thirties early forties at the end. Well, so let's let's go by his actual age. Okay, so let's say he's let's give him the older end of it and we'll call him thirty. Um, 33. So he's 33 years old. He's been in prison for eight years, right? So that makes him 25 when he went into prison. So he was 25 when he got out of the Rangers. Okay. Um, Just to give you an idea, Monica Potter, who's playing his wife in this movie, uh, was Mm -hmm. 26 years old or 25 years old when the movie came out. Um, 26. So that would have made her 18 when they, when he went to prison. So, um, a little bit of an age difference Ala- there. It is supposed to be Alabama. That's true. That's a fair point. Mm-hmm. They Sorry, weren't related, Ella. or at least they didn't state it. <laughs> you know, and she, I mean, you could have cast anybody in her role because she's in, what, three scenes in the movie? Um, right. There was a lot of that, though. There was a lot of, like, interchangeable, you know, almost too many characters in this um, that you could have trimmed down and kind of made some more compelling stuff. Like, I didn't need the, the fighting between the U.S. Marshals and the DEA agent. Give some more time to, um, you know, John Malkovich and Ving Rhames and uh, and um, Nick Chinland as, you know, your three main baddies. They're barely on screen, really. And I think you could have fleshed out them and made more conflict between them because, let's face it, they're, even though they're all working for the same goal of trying to get free, there was there, there would have been a power struggle between all of them. You know, I was really, I was really wondering why there wasn't more of a power struggle. 
Well, I think in the hands of better filmmakers, there would have been. <laughs> Honestly. Well, and, but then again, it's or, also only six hours of time. Did they really have the time to, you know, get into a pissing match? Well, see, that's also, the thing, also, though. Also, Poe tried to stir that up with Diamond Dog. Yeah. Yeah, and there was... That's something that they... It was like they wanted to touch on that, and then they just let it go. But they should have gone to that more, because... With only that short amount of time to be on the plane together, there would have been more of a pissing match between everybody. Because Diamond Dog is supposed to be, you know, this really militant guy, and he's just going to take a back seat and just do whatever he's told. I don't buy that. I also found it super ironic that when they're trying to pull the plane out, that Diamond Dog was whipping the guys. That made me laugh. Um, but this happened with other characters, too, because look at, like, Buscemi, like... They had this giant lead up, you know, and they oh, we've got the whole Hannibal Lecter mask and, you know, like, oh, he's the worst of everybody. And then, like, nothing happens with him. Well, I, like, he, he has they make you think girl. something is going to. Yeah. I, I know, but, like, it felt like a firework that fizzled. Yeah. Uh, like, you know, like, great. It's supposed to be, like, amazing and nothing happened. Like, I'm not impressed. Well, and that's um, like the super tropey thing that you would see in some of these movies, uh, at, especially during that time period where you would overplay like, oh, this guy's the worst. You know, we have the worst of the worst here. And then, oh, no, this guy's even worse. But then he doesn't do anything. You know, and all he does is sit and psychoanalyze everybody. Um, and he's the one <laughs> that gets to irony. Yeah. And he's the one that gets to, to disappear at the end of the movie. So, you know, I he love have a couple of good lines, but like they could have been delivered by anybody. Yeah, yeah, well, yes, although I do think Buscemi was, was a great casting for that role, as small as it was. Oh, yeah, indeed. I'm just saying they didn't do anything with that. It's perfect casting. He fit that role wonderfully, but they didn't do anything with it. It just felt yeah. like you, you, it could have been removed and it wouldn't have changed the film at all. Well, there's uh, so many, like, that, okay, no. like, don't give me the DEA stuff at all. Like, take the DEA agent completely out of it, both both the one on the ground and the one on the plane. Don't need them. They're pointless. Okay? Give me some more of the interplay between these three main bad guys and maybe some of the other ones. You know, have maybe not a pinball, but, like, some of these other kind of nondescript cons that think they're going to be the tough guy going to stand up to somebody and just, you know, get their, their nose bashed in or something as a, like a show of power from somebody like uh, Cyrus. Diamond Dog. Or Diamond Cyrus, Dog. Somebody, yeah. you know, or or have Diamond Dog do it, and then he's looking sideways. Because there was, like, there was one shot where uh, when when the guy double-crosses him at Carson City and, and uh, he burns him alive, Diamond Dog kind of gives him, like, this weird sideways glance. But then they never explore that again. So there was a lot of, a lot of these plot threads that I feel like they should have tugged on a little bit more and given us a little bit more of that and less of some of the other stuff. And But that was action movies back in the 90s. You know, this, this clocked in at, what, I think an hour and 55 minutes, something like that. So yep. it didn't need to be longer. I don't necessarily want it to be longer, but you could have trimmed out maybe some of the action or at least worked in some of these kind of plot ideas that they sort of teased without... Uh, without ever paying them off, you could work those in inside some of this action. You know, maybe have something where, like, Diamond Dog is, is secretly going to try and, and make his move during, you know, during something, like try to double-cross him. I don't know. I just think I there's, also, there's a lot of I things they could have done. I also think that if you wanted to, without 
wrecking what little story there is or what action there is. If you wanted to be aggressive on editing, you could, I think, pull 20 minutes out of the current theatrical release and not alter anything significantly. We, you know, the, these a lot of the establishing, like, the first 15 minutes, you could go ahead and pare that down significantly. Oh, definitely. You just, you, you, pregnant wife, army, defended, guy dead. Like, you don't need all that led up to it. And a lot goes with the same thing with the in the prison and even, like, when they're doing all the transfers, you know, like, you could have cut that down. We get it. You, yes. Oh, who is this? And we go to the TV screen of explaining who the bad guy is. It's like, well, you could have done that more quickly. That wasn't really needed, especially to go, oh, that's Poe. He's a nobody. Like, okay, yeah, we already know that. Like, Well, that's kind of telling you right there. Oh, this is the hero of the movie. As if we didn't just give you 20 minutes of exposition telling you that he was the hero in the first place. And right. I'm just saying you could have cut a lot of that out and still come up with all of the same conclusions and you wouldn't have like negatively altered anything. And then you could have given yourself that 20 minutes back to explore elsewhere with other characters or, you know, better writing. Yeah. And, and that's where, and I, I should hesitate to say better filmmakers, but more experienced filmmakers could have done stuff like that. I mean, Simon West, like I said, this was, He's got uh, a total of 21 director's credits, okay? Um, this was his first feature film. He hadn't directed anything, according to IMDb, for five years before that, and it was all video shorts. Now, one of those video shorts was Rick Astley's Never Gonna Give You Up. So he is, he <laughs> is known for that. Um, How did that not make it into the film? I don't know. But uh, this was his first th- theatrical film. Everything before this was videos. He went on to direct The General's Daughter, which I saw, and I actually enjoyed that. Um, it, similar to this, it wasn't a great film, but it was an enjoyable movie. Laura Croft, Tomb Raider, so the first Lo- Tomb Raider movie. Okay. Um, he directed With Angelina Jolie. Yes. Uh, he directed When a Stranger Calls in 2006, The Mechanic, the with, me- J- yep. with Jason Statham, The, the Expendables 2. Uh, I went enjoyed on- The Mechanic. He went on to do so a couple more uh, Nick Cage movies, Stolen being one. Um, but he's he's gotten, I think, better in his filmmaking. I really think this was a case of 1997. You know, he's ju- just over 30 years old, you know, getting his start in kind of filmmaking. And they probably felt like, Bruckheimer felt like he could get somebody. It seemed, it feels to me like he had somebody he could say, I want you to make a movie that looks like this. And he had control over him. To where Simon Simon West basically could be that Michael Bay light that he was looking for. He wanted to make another Michael Bay movie, but he didn't have Michael Bay to do it. Um, and I do think it's funny that a personal quote from on his IMDb page from Simon West is, Making a film is like trying to pass a handful of water between a thousand people. By the time the last person receives it, you're lucky if there's one drop left of the original idea. To me, that sounds like a director that isn't uh, a powerful enough personality to get his vision through. Because you wouldn't see a, a comment like that from a Martin Scorsese or a Ridley Scott. You know, they're, they're going to collaborate with people, but they're going to get their vision on screen. And so, you know, I kind of got that feeling like, like that was Simon West in a way. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong on that, but that's just kind of how no, it no, felt. No, that, that sounds fair. Because, I mean, I've seen a lot of Michael Bay movies, so I kind of know sort of that style. Um, 
and that's what this felt like to me was it was trying to emulate that style right down to the music and the way they would use musical cues you know every time garland green was on screen they would would have a musical cue for him um which i thought was kind of interesting but i don't know and, and like i say it's not it's competently made it looks fine uh there was a few green screen shots i think that haven't aged very well um <laughs> You know, especially like the shots of uh, pinball falling from the sky were clearly not Dave Chappelle. Um, <laughs> some of the shots at, at the crash in Las Vegas um, with the plane running away from the fireball, you know, the slow running away from the fireball, jump through the window, and then the door just explodes out around him anyway. Right. Um, <laughs> you know, the plane landing on the strip, like that plane was big, it was much bigger than the median of that highway. So that didn't even look right. You could tell it was a miniature. Uh, they did actually wreck a casino, though. Um, they were lucky in that the Sands Casino was demo- being demolished. So they got to wreck that casino for the movie. Um, oh, nice. That's which, fun. You know, those those shots look pretty nice. And there were some other logistical things. Like when, when, uh, when Malkovich is handcuffed to the fire truck and he gets blown through that kind of walking overpass... If you look, and this may, I noticed this really prominently last night. He hits the, the walking, the overpass. He flies through it. You can see that he's going to land back on the fire truck. And then all of a sudden, he's falling through power lines at an industrial site. Like, yeah. He lands, yeah, he lands on the power lines at a construction site ago. or demolition site that you don't really see in any other cut. Yeah. Even Anna was like, and, wait, how did he end up there? Right. That I mean that that was one of the things that I wondered the first time I watched this movie and I every time I watch it when I get to that scene I'm still wondering where did this come from. <laughs> also in the very beginning, you know, you've got that oil uh, extraction site right next to the bar with you know, you can see the the fire coming off of the natural gas stack there and like who puts a bar right next to this? I mean, it's you're going here to eat and drink, but here's this toxic facility right next door. How, yeah, I mean, how lax is Alabama about <laughs> on laws about this stuff? And that that's a case of like style over substance filmmaking, basically. But you know, it, it looked cool to to have it like that. Um, and that's where, again, I think a more experienced filmmaker probably makes some different choices. But uh, I don't know. I, look, there's a lot to be said about the dumbness of this movie. But at the end of the day, I still have a good time when every time I watch it. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's, to me, it's like watching a dumb sitcom where it's, it's not going to be the thing that I gravitate to all the time, but you know, when I'm in that mood of just like, eh, you know what? I just want something silly. I'm going to watch I need something to unplug like this. for an action movie. Yeah. Give me a, let, let's grab Con Air. Yep. Exactly. Yeah, it's, it's, I, I still enjoy this movie. You know, I feel the I, same way about face I, I, off. Um, now here's a question for you. So. When you look at the Nicolas Cage kind of action blockbusters, all right, so we're going to look at the trifecta of The Rock, Con Air, and Face Off because those were right in a row. They were all sort of that same era of filmmaking. Um, what would be what, what you would consider your favorite of those three? And I want to start with AJ. I always go back to The Rock. I don't know why, but that's usually my go-to on those. Uh, I have a this feeling, is... yeah, I have a feeling it's because of Sean Connery, but that, that's just me. It could be. Uh, all right, so we've got one vote for The Rock. Uh, Christina, your favorite of those three? Con Air. Okay. 
All right, so we've got a, a, a one one for the Rock, one for Con Air. Uh, Keith, your favorite of those three? I'm gonna go by the number of times I've I've viewed the each movie, and I'm gonna go ahead and say Con Air because I've seen that more than the other two combined. So okay, um, my favorite of those three, honestly, is probably for the sheer craziness of it, Face Off, because it's so it. It takes the dumb silliness of something like Con Air and says, hold my beer. We can do better. <laughs> hold my beer while I do a line. Yeah. but uh, it, it's, I mean, it's an interesting concept. John Travolta pre- pretending to be Nicolas Cage and Nicolas Cage pretending to be John Travolta. I mean, it's, it's interesting. <laughs> Script it's writes fun, itself. But, you know, I just, like I said, when I need an unplugged watch an act, you know, just watch an action movie to unplug kind of thing. I'm going to pick Con Air more often than I'm going to pick Face Off. I mean, they're fair. both good. They're both fun. I just enjoy Con Air more. Now, David, sure Con why. Air doesn't have the whole creepy face replacement. Well, there's that. Now, David, well, I'm going to... something that would really bother me. Yeah. Huh. David, I'm going to guess that your favorite of those three is Con Air because it's the only one that you've seen. That's correct. Ha ha! <laughs> Well, we'll probably fix that at some point because, honestly, if you like action films at all, you really should see The Rock um, and you should see Face Off. The Rock probably more so even than anything else. And I know we've had discussions before. It is before. Alcatraz. Come on. Well, Alcatraz and, and Connery. We've had discussions, I know David and I have, about all Michael Bay. All three of those movies involve prisons in some way, don't they? <laughs> they do. But yeah. the, the thing with The Rock is it's got it's directed by Michael Bay. And it's actually, it's one of his, I think it's actually a good action film from Michael Bay. Um, I think that he, it was sort of, kind of his peak was that and maybe The Island, uh, which I think well, is Well, he underrated. had a lower, they gave him a lower budget for explosives, I think. I mean, if you do that, <laughs> it really reins him in and, and changes, you know, what he has to do with the film. Man, imagine when CGI and video computer graphics were getting big. He's just been like, wait, you can just draw the explosions? And mine probably <laughs> exploded. Well, but the thing about but that yeah, is... drew the explosion. If you look, though, at like the first Transformers movie, there's a lot of practical special effects in that movie. A lot of them. The bus getting ripped in half is a practical effect that then they drew in the Transformer. But the actual explosion in the bus was real. Um so Michael Bay, that I, that's one thing I will give him credit for is that, yes, he's got a lot of ridiculous action, and, <laughs> and he, he has a tendency to overdo the action, but it, he does a lot of things in camera and a lot of practical. That is now two weeks in a row we've referenced Transformers. Yeah. Um, I think it's unfortunate they cheaped out and didn't build an actual Transformer. Yeah, what gives? <laughs> But, I, you know, the Michael Bay philosophy of, you know, two minutes, light dialogue, nothing else happens, we need an explosion, uh, it, it's worked out pretty well. It's a it's a pretty good formula when you're trying to establish action, you know. It's an action movie. There's people talking, not much is happening. Oh, it looks like it's time for something to blow up. <laughs> now, yeah. Christina, you were, you were mentioning earlier uh, when we were getting ready to start the show, just some of the silly lines in this movie. Oh, yeah. And I mean... Boy, are there a lot of those. <laughs> My favorite is uh, right as you know, Cyrus is throwing the cigarette into the 
gasoline that would oh. never actually ignite. Oh, 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 you mean, you mean this one? Sai Anara. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that has to be my favorite one. That oh, made yeah. me do a double take. Like, did he actually just do that? <laughs> like, how many years has Cyrus Grissom been waiting to pull that off? You know, he's, like, he, he had he's to have just given... He's probably been waiting since he was, like, 13 to use it. And this Isn't was that, like, one. also the first time we hear someone call him Cy? Yeah. Implying that line was written explicitly for that pun. Oh, definitely. Mm-hmm. By absolutely <laughs> written for that pun. Um... <laughs> But, oh man, there's there's some great line. Like Anna watched this with me last night, and when the the clip that I played at the top of the show that made us stop the movie because she was laughing so hard at it. Just that that shot because it plays even better when you get the the visual of it, where it's just the two shot of Cameron and Baby O, and he's basically giving out the entire plot of the movie, and then it <laughs> and then it just pans over, and there's Steve Buscemi just sitting there, and he's just like, "Hi, Garland." You know, it just it just pans over, and all you get is hi, Garland. <laughs> like it's so deadpan and so well done that genuinely made us both laugh out loud. Um, oh, hi, Mark. One another favorite part of mine is you know when when they're in the act of crashing, and he's just sitting there holding onto that Ken doll, singing, "He's got the whole world in his hands." <laughs> that is gold, by the way. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, and there's like there's some good interchange, some good back and forth. This is probably my favorite back and forth uh, because, and I I will use this myself quite a bit. Uh, is it's Danny Trejo uh, and Nicolas Cage, and it sounds like this. You know what I am? Ugly all day. <laughs> just that drawl, ugly all day. Uh, man, so many of his lines are just like they're terrible lines, and they shouldn't work at all. And they're delivered with that drawl, but it makes them better somehow. Just put the bunny back in the box. Oh, man. And he says it three times. So you've got... Put the bunny, put back the in bunny the box. down. You know, it's put the bunny in the box. I said, put the bunny back in the box. Like, seriously, how... <laughs> how, he, how does that work in an action movie? Yet it did. Yeah, it's... Well, it's right up there with, this is the boneyard, this is the hangar, this is our plane. What's, What's that? that? That's a rock. That's a rock. This <laughs> <laughs> is like, yep. Okay. Yep. Uh, I did like, I actually like this line, even though it is super cheesy. Sorry, boss. But there's only two men I trust. One of them's me, the other's not you. It's but then bad. it did have a payoff at the end of the movie. It did, and it's not a terrible line. It's a little cheap. I just like that. There's two men I trust. One of them's me. That was character development. Either. He trusted somebody. Yeah, all right, Yay, fair. We found okay. it. Yay. <laughs> the, okay, I'm sorry, but the whole opening with the letter reading, was it was painful when I saw it the first time. It do, That doesn't get better with successive viewings. Like this right here. Break out the fine china, chill the lemonade, tie a yellow ribbon around the old oak tree, because this boy's coming home to his ladies. Coming home forever. <laughs> I'm sorry, whoa, whoa, whoa. Who, I, maybe this is a, a, like an Alabama thing. Who the F ties yellow ribbons around oak trees? No, that, that a, I have heard before. That's a soldier coming home thing. Yeah. Okay. I, but okay. It, it's like, Nick, you couldn't have done a better read than that, really. Like, that's... 
probably his fourth attempt too. Yeah, probably. <laughs> like you couldn't be like, uh, hey, hey, can At we least. can we do that one more time? Um, could no, Nick, no, uh, Nick. This is Simon. Um, can, can you give me one more read? And can you um, let's see? How do I put this? Emote, please. <laughs> <laughs> Noah. Uh, I did like. Do you fly, Johnny? The whole the whole exchange with uh, Danny Trejo. Oh yeah, that was great. Um, <laughs> Dave Chappelle. So he pretty much supposedly improvised most of his lines, and he's only got a few. But I did like his introduction of himself. Timbo Parker, I'm Rob Arsonist, dope fiend. I'm a hell of a nice guy. Got caught. Oh shucks. <laughs> <laughs> the ah shucks seals it. Yep. <laughs> He uh, told me he loved me. Oh, oh, are you talking about this one? Oh man, it smells like so much shit in your mouth. He told me he loved me. <laughs> yeah, that one. <laughs> uh, um, when he's like, you didn't, you didn't mean all that crackhead stuff you were saying. You mean that gun? Hell yes, I meant it. <laughs> See that, like that's the kind of stuff that Malkovich was great for. Is little lines like that, or like when he's making fun of the guard after the guard tells him, you know, tells him off, kind of stuff. And the guard had a couple of good lines too. Guard Falzon. Um, oh yeah. Uh, I oh, captured stewardess. Well, I, it's going to be today's inflate movie. Yeah, I captured two two guard Falzon lines because they they both made me chuckle. Um, I've ne- I'd never heard before or since this be used. Gag and bag this Nazi muffin. Nazi muffin. Never heard that. I like it. I don't know why. I just I think that's a great way to like tell somebody off. Call them a muffin. It takes it takes the threat out of being yeah. a Nazi. You're pretty much calling this guy who's you know trying to be hard and mean and just telling him no, dude. You're you're about as hard as a marshmallow. Yeah. Uh, and then he had this one too. This was a nice little gem. Uh, probably keep this to to play at a future date. Your testicles will become my personal property. <laughs> so keep that in mind and stay in line otherwise your testicles will become my personal property you got that <laughs> uh i we we talked about the angry acting but then at the end of the movie and this this was another moment that genuinely makes me chuckle every time i hear it just because this is a john cusack moment where it's right at the end of the movie uh and call walks up to him and they have this exchange <laughs> sorry i know what okay. is. No. Good. Glad we didn't shoot it down, huh? Oh yeah, it worked out much better this way. Huh? <laughs> Are you okay? <laughs> no. Uh, there was. I'm sorry. I, I thought you were actually going to go with the. You with me, or do I need to draw it and cram like usual? No, that was just more that the was angry such acting. A good one. I mean, it was good. Yeah, but, the way that was delivered. Just, yeah, it was good, but it was just more the angry acting. It was just more yelling at each other. Um, and oh, uh, so we talked last week about how I had two movies in a row where they said I got to take a dump, and we were joking like, "Oh, maybe they'll say that in Con Air." They didn't. However, we did get this. You don't got to take a piss. So it was close. We got. We almost got there. So I, I thought that was funny, and I had to capture that. Um, no, I look Con Air. It's fun. It's dumb fun movie, and I'm. Yep. Glad that it exists. Uh, I'm glad that I rewatched it, David. I gotta ask: This is the first time you'd seen it. This movie came out when you were two years old. What did you think of it? I enjoyed it. It was very good. Uh, I'd watch it again. I did not regret spending money on it for two weeks in a row. 
Now, if you had to compare in our, our scale of Nick Cage movies, we set the bar pretty high with uh, Vampire's Kiss last week. Everybody seemed to really enjoy that. Where would you rank this uh, above or below Vampire's Kiss? In terms of good movie or how Nick Cage it is? Uh, let's go with both. We'll start with good movie. Good movie, I like this more. How Nick Cage it was, it is the opposite. So, let's see. I think we wanted to make our scale was poor Alva's. Um, so, oh, how, yeah. how many poor Alva's would you give this uh, performance by Nick Cage? Out of... Uh, let's go out of five. Five being five being Vampire's Kiss. I give this, I give this a, a two or a three, poor okay. Alva's. Yeah, that, that seems about this was, right. This was Nick Cage pretty reserved, all things considered. Yeah. yeah. Well, with a draw that lazy, you <laughs> kind of have to be reserved. Yeah. Well, yes, but if you listen to or if you saw Vampire's Kiss, you know that, I mean, he had a quote-unquote accent in that movie that came and go uh, whenever he felt like it, and he would yell and scream. So, you know, it, it was it was a choice in this movie for him to just basically talk like this and like he's kind of slow throughout the entire thing. What he was trying to do is he was trying to be Forrest Gump. That yeah. was, that's exactly <laughs> the the perfect comparison. Yeah, and he had he the was perfect just trying to be Forrest Gump. And he had the perfect best friend for it too cuz he had Bubba. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they got boiled shrimp. <laughs> shrimp, boiled salad. shrimp salad, shrimp burgers. You know, and I didn't I didn't capture any audio of him uh, cuz he was sort of the chicken in the bucket of this movie. Like he's in the movie in the beginning of it. And then they stomp all over the insulin, and you don't see Baby O again until the end of the movie. Like they just sort of forgot about him while well, all this other crap is going himself on. For the yeah, hero, exactly. Like uh, okay, I guess. Um, oh, there was one other bit of audio I want to play. So there's there's the moment where the guy's in his car and the bird poops on the um, the windshield <laughs> right before Dave Chappelle drops on it. And look, super tropey, super nineties. That's a, a complete Michael Bay moment in a movie. Um, but, but a, I liked the, uh, I thought it was funny and I love the actor that played him. His name is Don S Davis. He was in Stargate SG one is probably what he's most known for by a lot of people. I love him and MacGyver and MacGyver too. You're right. Uh, he's great, but he, the way he says car or yeah, car wash cracks me up. Yeah. So I had to capture that. I'm going to, I got to play that every time we get away. I get 10 feet from the car wash and then pop, birch. <laughs> the car wash. Like, and he's supposed to be in California. People in California don't say it that way. Um, oh, one other kind of logic thing that I thought was really, really dumb, and I have to point this out because it, it made me pause the movie last night. When John Cusack's character is like, all right, so we found the transponder in Arizona, and he points to, like, northern California. (laughs) And then he says, but they're down here in Carson City, so they're going to Lerner Airfield. Like, wow, you figured that out really fast. Well, that was also after the note on pinball, wasn't it? No. I don't think... They had gotten the note about pinball yet, but it just seemed like he found Lerner Airfield way too quick. Well, dude, I mean, it's such a large metropolitan airport. I right. mean, I don't know how you couldn't find it on a map of the United States. Uh, and this is before GPS was a thing. You couldn't just plug in Lerner Air Force and go. Right. Lerner Airfield and go. I don't know. I, I That moment in the mo- movie made me kind of do one of these. 
really forced that laugh. But eh, yeah. look, I, I just I enjoyed this movie. David, I'm glad that you liked it. We're two for two on Nicolas Cage as far as people liking the movie so far. This one, I, I am not surprised that most of us enjoyed it because I knew most of us had seen it. And, you know, it is that enjoyable movie. I was curious to see how it would hold up, uh, you know, what is it now, 20, 22 years later. Holy cow. This movie's old enough to drink. Yeah, as it should. <laughs> Older than some kids, some of them I, might have. I did watch it while drinking, so. <laughs> but I, I think as a whole, as a on the whole, as an action film, holds up fairly well. Um, mm-hmm. I do think we've had some advances in kind of action movie storytelling since then um, that, uh, that this movie could have benefited from. But overall, it still holds up. It's still enjoyable to watch. Uh, clearly, you know, when you get somebody who'd never seen it before and really knew nothing about it to enjoy it, that says a lot. So, um, but yeah, that's, uh, that's Con Air and, uh, it's a lot of fun. I do recommend go out and see it. Um, I think it's another one of those, this one more so than Vampire's Kiss, I think you could watch by yourself and enjoy just as much as you could sitting and watching it with a group of friends. Um, Vampire's Kiss, I do think is a movie that's better enjoyed with a group of friends. Um, but, uh, no. So, uh, two for two on Nick Cage month. Um, we're continuing with that next week. So we're shifting around, uh, release dates, um, for the podcast. We had been releasing everything on Saturdays. Uh, I think we're going to move to Wednesdays now, starting with this episode. Um, and going forward, we'll put out, uh, every Wednesday. So, uh, subscribe. If you're subscribed, you're going to see it in your podcast feed on Wednesdays. If you're not, if this is your first episode, um, and you found it through maybe a Twitter link or something like that, uh, go to tvstravis.com. There's a subscribe button. Search for it in Apple Podcasts or uh, Google Podcasts or or anywhere. The easiest way is still to go to the website and get the RSS feed there and then plug it in. Uh, But you can also, if if, if you do listen to the show and you enjoy it, Go onto those services and give us a rating because um, that helps kind of bump us up and get us uh, more noticeable in searches. Um, so, yeah, but we'll be putting out uh, episodes every Wednesday. Um, and uh, next week is week three of our five-week Nicolas Cage month because there are five. There were five Saturdays um, in August, so we're still going to have five uh, five weeks. Because because we started on a Saturday and next week is going to be bringing out the dead, uh, which is 1999 uh, Martin Scorsese film with Nicolas Cage and John Goodman, um, amongst others. So I'm looking forward to that one. I haven't seen it in a few years, but I have seen it before, um, and it's a it's a great movie. So come back next Wednesday and check out bringing out the dead. Uh, oh, you spoiled it for me. What? Saying it's great that spoils the podcast. <laughs> I think it's great. Look, I thought that I've thought that quite a few movies are great that you didn't like. So you know, we can go from there. But uh, no, that'll be next week. Uh, so join us for that. Um, we, uh, you know, like I say, go to tvstravis.com. But I want to thank all you guys for uh, you know sitting down and talking with me tonight. Um, and uh, you know, David, thanks for uh, watching the movie and being on the show. Uh, of course, it'll be even better when we start getting paid. <laughs> Christina, wait, oh. we get paid. <laughs> wait, you guys aren't getting checks yet. Those are supposed to have cleared by now. Shit. Um, no, Christina, it was nice having you back on the show. It's been a couple weeks, so that was fun. Yeah, always fun to be here. And uh, Keith, I always have fun here. It's oh, good. good. 
Good. I'm glad. And AJ is good having you on as always. Yeah, I'm like a rash. You can't get rid of me. Yeah, as much as we try. Yep. Um, but yeah, so that is uh, that is the movie for this week. Uh, join us next week, and as always, enjoy your movies.